and had left Timothy in Ephesus while he and Titus traveled on to Spain. After returning, Paul made another brief tour of Asia Minor and went back to Rome, where he was once again arrested. He is now writing from there, perhaps from a dungeon that is said to be the place where Paul was imprisoned, one that can still be visited today. It's basically a cave in the ground with bare walls and a hole in the ceiling through which food was dropped. There are no windows and would have been a cold, damp cell that would have been especially uncomfortable in winter. Thus Paul's request for Timothy to come soon and bring his cloak. The request to come soon, however, may have also been related to something else. It's now 67 AD, three years after what may have been an attempt to stimulate urban renewal by burning the slums of Rome. But whether Nero actually started the fire or not, he blamed it on the Christians and used it as an excuse to execute them in the Colosseum as entertainment for Roman citizens. Paul could therefore sense that his time of departure was at hand. And he tells Timothy as much in the letter. As we noted last week, Timothy's assignment in Ephesus was challenging, and Paul wrote to encourage him as well as to give him specific instructions. With his death imminent, the need to encourage his son in the faith was even more necessary. Before we get into the letter, however, it might be helpful to once again remember how Timothy became Paul's son in the faith. We first met Timothy in Acts 16, when Paul was going through Derby and Lister on his second missionary journey. There we are told Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren, and Paul invited him to travel with him. It's quite possible that Timothy's grandmother and mother had been won to Christ by Paul on the first journey to the area, and Timothy had either been converted then as well or was later led to Christ by his mother and grandmother. His father was a Greek, and we know nothing of his faith. Timothy accepted Paul's invitation and was from that day forward Paul's faithful friend and co-worker. He accompanied him on the remainder of the second and on the third journey and was even with him in Rome during part of his first imprisonment. Timothy was a man in whom Paul had much confidence and was often sent by Paul as a special envoy to solve problems in churches. When he was sent to Thessalonica, Paul wrote to the church telling them that he had sent Timothy, his brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage them. And as we've noted at the time of the writing of both 1st and 2nd Timothy, Timothy was in Ephesus trying to solve problems in the church there. When Paul writes to him, 
he addresses some of the problems Timothy was dealing with and gives him specific instructions for the church. But these letters are more than official directives for the church. They are first and foremost personal letters to a young minister who surprisingly was in need of encouragement himself. In fact, some are so surprised by this that they find it hard to believe that the Timothy pictured in Acts and Paul's other epistles is the same Timothy addressed in these letters. Timothy is here revealed to be weak and timid and in need of prodding to face the challenges and hardships of the ministry. How, they ask, can this be the same man who was sent to strengthen and encourage others? What they fail to realize is that at times even the encourager needs encouragement. And Timothy, like the rest of us, needed to be challenged and encouraged to do his best for the Lord. In fact, there are some shocking statistics that indicate this is true of many in the ministry. It's been reported that 12 to 1,500 evangelical pastors leave the ministry each month due to moral failure, spiritual burnout, or contention in their churches. It's also been reported that 50% are so discouraged they would leave the ministry, but they're afraid their education has limited their employment options. Still, 80% of seminary and Bible college graduates who enter the ministry do leave within the first five years, and 70% say they constantly fight depression. Fortunately, I'm not one of the statistics. I've been blessed with a supportive wife and a loving church family, And I've got a Harley. (laughs) Well, Timothy had, had none of those. So when Paul writes, he includes personal notes of encouragement and challenge. And a quick scan of 1 Timothy reveals that thread of encouragement. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son... In accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, But rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pain with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. 
I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Well, as we begin a study of Paul's second letter to Timothy, let me assure you that that thread of encouragement and challenge remains throughout this letter as well. And I would actually encourage you to read through the letter this week and look for those encouraging notes from Paul. I think you too will be encouraged and challenged by them. But this morning, let's simply set the stage for this letter, a letter of encouragement, by looking at Paul's introduction, which in itself is a beautiful study of a spiritual father encouraging a son. And in it, I'm sure we can find those elements necessary for our being a source of encouragement to others. The first thing we learn from Paul, if we would be a source of encouragement to a son or daughter, spiritual or physical, is the need to express our love for them. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, Paul begins this letter as he does most, except he here addresses Timothy as his beloved son. In his first letter, he called Timothy his true child in the faith, and that's good. But my beloved son is even better. Paul knew that if he was really to make a difference in Timothy's life, he had to love him, and he had to be willing to express that love openly. And he did so, and not only here. When writing to the church at Corinth, Paul said he was sending to them Timothy, who was his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. You know, I don't think we can overemphasize the importance of expressing love to those you'd seek to encourage. We all need to know that we're loved. And it's the fact that we're loved and that we know we're loved, that motivates us to do our best and to seek to please those who love us. Hopefully, that's what motivates us to serve the Lord. We're motivated by knowing how much He loves us 
And believe it or not, it's that unconditional love expressed openly and freely by parents to their children that most often keeps them on the straight and narrow. Don't hesitate to express love for your children or your spiritual children or your brothers and sisters in Christ or even your spiritual parents. That's the first step to encouraging others. Express love to them. The second step is what Paul then did for his son. He thanked God for him. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul prayed for Timothy and he told him he was praying for him, thanking God for him constantly. How often do you thank God openly for your children? Not praying for them to be good or to get better grades or to remember to do their chores, just thanking God for the privilege of being their parent and having them in your family. How often do you openly thank God for your spiritual children and the opportunity to pour yourself into them? How often do you thank God for those sitting with you in this room this morning and for those who lead you in worship and who teach you and who minister to you? And how often do you let them know that you thank God for them? You know, Paul let his son know that he thanked God for him and that he constantly remembered him in his prayers night and day. How that must have encouraged him. And then he let it be known that he longed to be with him. He says, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. We really don't know how long it had been since Paul had seen Timothy, nor do we know the circumstances of their parting that brought tears to Timothy's eyes. It may have been when Paul urged Timothy to stay in Ephesus when he went on to Macedonia. If that's the case, it's been several years since they'd seen each other, and Paul longed to see him again. Timothy was important to him. He was a real source of joy to him. And he longed to be with him and made sure that Timothy knew it. You know, I realize we feel at times the need to escape from our children. But our children should never be made to feel that they are an unwelcome intrusion into our life. Even when we are away from them, they should know how we long to be with them. They should never question our desire to have them intimately involved in our life, even after they leave home. Now, we must be careful not to become an unwelcome intruder in their life after they leave the nest. But even when a man leaves his father and mother, and cleaves to his wife, 
He should know that he still has parents who love him and want to spend time with him. How often, how often do you express to your children your longing to be with them? And how often do you express your longing to be with your spiritual family and demonstrate it by taking every opportunity to do so? And I think it's great that 40 adults signed up or were signed up by their spouse for dinner eight. It's important that we make the effort to get to know each other better. And eating together is a great way to do so. If we would encourage one another, we need to openly express our longing to be together. And if we truly love each other and thank God for one another, we will want to be together. The next thing Paul encouraged his son by expressing confidence in him. Verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Now, whether Paul had recently received word of something Timothy had done or he simply thought back on all that Timothy had done in the past, we don't know. But we do know that Paul was mindful of Timothy's sincere faith and he openly expressed confidence in him. He said it was easy to see that he was following in the footsteps of his grandmother and his mother, that he shared their faith and their love. For the Lord. Paul was saying to him, I know your heart and it's good. He didn't look for ulterior motives in everything Timothy did or question the sincerity of his actions. He made sure Timothy knew he had complete confidence in the genuineness of his faith and the purity of his motives. Indeed, nothing is more discouraging than to truly give of yourself for someone or for something and then have your motives called into question. And sadly, that happens in churches as well as in the world. I know there have been times when decisions were made after prayer and study and a conscientious effort to discern the Lord's will and to do what was best for the church only to have a few disgruntled people call into question the faithfulness of those charged with the responsibility of making those decisions. That's very disheartening, to say the least. Now, I really doubt that Paul agreed with everything Timothy did or every decision that he made, but he gave Timothy the benefit of the doubt and expressed complete confidence in his faith and his faithfulness to the ministry. I'm certain that encouraged him to work even harder and to seek even more diligently after the Lord's will in everything he did. People tend to rise to the level of confidence placed in them, so don't fail to express confidence in those you seek to encourage. 
Next, we find Paul reminding his son of a special gift that he had. Verse 6. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. At his ordination, Timothy had apparently received a special gift from the hands of the apostle that supernaturally equipped him for ministry. Those apostolic gifts imparted through the hands of the apostles have obviously ceased. The apostles are no longer here. But the Holy Spirit is still in the business of gift-giving. In fact, the scriptures make it abundantly clear that every member of the body of Christ has a special God-given gift, one that goes even beyond their abilities that is to be used for the good of the body. Romans 12 gives a list of some of those gifts, including the gift of prophecy or the ability to powerfully proclaim God's message, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and showing mercy. There are similar lists in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. That means we've all been given gifts to be used in the church, whether we recognize it or not. Maybe we would see more gifts being utilized in the church if we'd help identify each other's gifts and encourage one another to put them to use. How encouraging would it be if someone came up to you and said, I've been watching you and it seems to me that God has specially gifted you in the area of... Have you thought about putting that gift to work by... That may be all they need to be encouraged, to get involved in a different level and experience even more abundantly the joy of serving Christ. You know, just as we encourage our kids by stressing their abilities we see latent within them, so we encourage our spiritual children by challenging them to stir up the gifts God has given them for service in the kingdom. Finally, Paul challenged his son in the faith to simply excel. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now, the word that Paul used here for timidity is a strong word. In fact, it can be translated cowardice. I doubt that Timothy liked the inference that he had perhaps displayed some signs of cowardice. But if he had, he needed to be lovingly confronted with the fact, and Paul did so very graciously here. He began by expressing his love for him and telling him how much he thanked God for him day and night. He told him how he longed to be with him how much confidence he had in him. He reminded him that he had been gifted and encouraged him to use the gifts he'd been given. Then and only then did he point out a possible weakness and offer a remedy. Only after affirming his love for him did Paul remind Timothy that God 
hadn't given him a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and discipline. If Timothy was to excel in service to God, he would have to utilize all the power available to him through the Holy Spirit. And he couldn't be afraid to exercise that power. Timothy would have to take the bull by horns at times. He'd have to stand his ground when the occasion demanded it. He would have to say things that some might not want to hear. But of course, that power would have to be tempered with love and self-control. He couldn't just bully his way in the church and tramp on people without concern for their feelings. He couldn't be timid. He couldn't be afraid to do what needed to be done. But he would always have to make certain that love was the motive for his actions. If he would do that, he would excel in service to Christ and make his father in the faith very proud of him. And if we would be proud of our children, be they physical or spiritual, we would do well to follow Paul's example in encouraging a son. On the flip side, it's also important to realize that we all need encouragement to be all God has called us to be. We all need to be reminded that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. If we'll tap into that power, we will be able to take a stand for Jesus when it's necessary to take a stand. And there's a good chance that most of us will be given such an opportunity this week. If we're looking for it, And we're ready to take it. In fact, if you're ready to take a stand for him, you can do so right here, right now. We welcome you to come and make public your stand for Jesus. We don't overemphasize the invitation time, but I want you never to fail to realize that you're always welcome to come and publicly stand up for Jesus. If that would encourage you, if that would enable you, if that would assure you that you're standing with a body of believers, we invite you to do that publicly, openly, and freely as we stand and sing.